Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the program longtime writer and, and director for news analysis for Baseball HQ, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good to be here. Well, usually we talk uh, strictly about the Mets, but I think we're going to talk more about big issues in Major League Baseball today with Jock, who's uh, based on the West Coast. We might even have more of a West Coast slant than we normally do. And uh, the first question I want to ask you, I guess, combines a little bit of Mets and a little bit of West Coast. And is it true that the Angels are using ex-Met reliever Hansel Robles as their closer? Uh, how did that come to be, and, and how long do they expect that to last? You know, they are using Robles, and, and he's he's currently leading the, the, the team in saves. He has four of them. So if you just look at that, he's their, he's their lead closer. But, but this is more of a fluid situation. He, um, he inherited the role after uh, Cody Allen um, pretty much blew up. Cody Allen began to walk a lot of hitters, and they've taken Cody out of the role. They're still paying him a lot of money, so I expect him to – get another shot to uh to win the job back and frankly um um ty buttry has been the best reliever on the angels and he's being used in higher leverage situations sometimes for multiple innings in front of robles uh, robles has been good um obviously he came over from the mets uh the second half of last year he wasn't very good with you guys i think his era was near six um but um, he, uh, he came over to the Angels, and they, they managed to um, address some of his control problems or at least reduce them. And uh, I think he posted a 297 ERA over 36 innings, which is pretty decent. He still has the big swing and miss. Um, and so far, so good when he comes in the ninth inning. I don't think he's blown a save yet or maybe one. Um, like I said, he's got four saves. He has a 3.79 ERA this year. Uh, I don't expect him to be the closer at the end of the year, or at least the only closer. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Angels in a uh, in a, a committee for the rest of the season. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs or anything. But that's that's kind of what the situation is right now. Now, Mets fans distinctly remember all the gopher balls that uh, Robles served up. And the other main memory of, of Robles is that any time a batter hit a fly ball or a ball in the air, Robles would just point straight up, and it didn't make a difference if it was a pop-up behind the catcher or a, a blast to center field that cleared the center field uh, wall by 15 feet. He did the exact same move, pointed straight up in the air, like that was helping somebody somewhere. So uh, I, I hope that he still gets, he's still doing that and Angels fans get to witness that. I, I've seen a little bit of that, and, and it's interesting about the home runs. I'm looking at his stats now, and I see what you mean about the, the home run issues in New York he gave up seven home runs in the 20 innings he had with New York last year and to show you the difference uh that the that the scenery change made for whatever reason he gave up two home runs in 36 innings for the Angels after he got here last year he's given up two home runs in 19 innings this year which isn't that bad so I don't know maybe the Angels have done something maybe it's a situation that's about to be corrected I hope not the latter (laughs) All right, well, let's go from a, a bad situation, uh, Hansel Robles and his proclivity for uh, serving up the gopher ball to, to something that's even maybe a little worse. And uh, that's in the last couple of days, news has come out about uh, Julio Arias being the latest pro athlete in, in a domestic abuse case. Uh, he was arrested on suspicion of misdemeanor domestic battery. Is MLB doing enough in this area? And uh, if, in your opinion, they're not, uh, what should they be doing? 
you know, honestly, I'm not familiar with the detailed um, um, procedures that MLB has in, in handling this, although I, I wrote the situation up for, for Baseball HQ and I, I, I researched it. Um, he was arrested on Monday. Um, they had video evidence. Uh, he was booked on a misdemeanor charge with bond set. Uh, um, his current timeout could last for up to seven days and then be extended if the investigation is still continuing. Um, I'm kind of shooting in the dark as to how this might affect him, but to, to answer your question, I don't think most companies or organizations are doing as much as they can to address this issue. Um, obviously, the fact that m most companies are, are are staffed and run by by primarily men or males have has has something to do with this, and I, I want to be sure I don't get you know, weave into the political realm here. Um, I have a very um, um, strong and forward-thinking wife in this particular situation, and uh, um, I've learned a lot from her. Um, I, I I don't think I don't think most males can. Uh, can set these policies well, and and I, I don't know where baseball, I don't know where MLB is on this. I, I know they're they're hiring more women in more positions, and that that redounds to their credit. Um, I think regardless of what they're doing, they can probably do more. Now, you bring up an excellent point in that there's not a lot of women in high positions in MLB, but I would counter with the fact that I don't think you have to be a woman to to be revolted by this and you just don't go around beating up people just because you can and I think that MLB has had an issue with uh, obviously not every case is is the same and you need to be able to have different amounts of punishment but uh, you know just with the the Mets I know that uh, uh, Jerry's Familia I think got uh, two weeks and is that really enough and, and I think that uh, they should be in, in the forefront and, and saying, we're not going to tolerate this. This is not acceptable. This is not okay in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think you have to be um, a female in order to, to take that position. I don't think you do as well, but I also think as, as males, we will never understand the, the female experience uh, to, a, to a large extent. Um, and I think just the fact that different clubs have different ways of handling this and different different uh, times they're able to suspend players, I think that's a problem. We're not just talking about what happens after the fact. We're, we're talking about establishing the punishment in advance and preventative steps, too. So there's a lot of issues here. Well, let's talk about something that uh, maybe us men can talk about. And uh, out in Oakland, uh, they've taken a preliminary step in getting a new stadium. Uh, most everyone accepts that uh, stadiums are bad deals for taxpayers, but the Coliseum, not a great place to, to play baseball, and certainly uh, it, it's not helping Oakland uh, either attendance or even keeping their team long term. Could Oakland be the exception that proves the rule here? You know, that's a really good question. Have you been to Oakland's current stadium? I have not. It is, without a doubt, in my opinion, the worst stadium I've ever been to. It's just terrible. Um, I won't go back um, unless it's a it's a day game and uh, the the game is uh, uh, is is critical. I would much rather be, of course, if there's a day game across the bay in uh, in San Francisco. Um, I'm not sure what the issues are with with Oakland Stadium. I agree with your with your introductory point that 
most stadiums are a bad deal for taxpayers if taxpayers are footing the bill um Oakland, uh, Oakland is a real problem. I mean, if 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 you, I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't paid a lot of specific attention to what's going on with their new stadium, other than that they either need to move or they need a new stadium. Um, I'd be curious as to your views on this one. We've heard for for decades about how bad uh, the the stadium situation is in Oakland, and. To me, I guess the thing that I worry about is, does it become a slippery slope if you if you argue that, well, yeah, it's a bad deal for taxpayers, but we really want the team, so we're going to bite the bullet and do it, then how do you not make that same exact uh, argument in Tampa Bay? Yeah, no, and, there's, and there are a lot of people, really smart people in this industry who I respect that think MLB ought to get out of Florida. So, you know, there's there's all kinds of interesting views on on this particular situation. Uh, um, I, I, I like the fact that the A's are in Oakland, but boy, I sure wish they could do something about that stadium because it's just, it's an abomination. It, it's difficult for me because I don't think that we as a society should be making life easier for millionaires and billionaires who are generally the ones who, who own teams. I'm not sure who the owners of the Oakland A's are, but I, 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 I take it that their take-home pay is a little higher than mine. And I, I don't know if we need to be bending over backwards to, to make their life easier. But, you know, just as a baseball fan, it would be nice, uh, especially in a situation in, in Florida and in, in Tampa specifically, where, you know, maybe if they had a better stadium for baseball that uh, the attendance would be better. So I, I guess I'm a little bit torn on this issue. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think we're all in the same spot. Um, I don't think um, we want to give taxpayer subsidies to these owners. Uh, as a fan, we look at it a little differently depending on where we are. Now, um, one of the uh, things that's going on um, right now is uh, MLB has partnered with the Atlantic League and they're using them kind of as a, a guinea pig. And uh, throughout the, this, this season, they're instituting a whole bunch of procedures in the Atlantic League that they're you know, going to test out and see what it would be like uh, if, if they had it in Major League Baseball. And, and one of them, I don't believe it started yet, I think it's the second half of the year, is they're going to have a, uh, a computerizer or an automated strike zone. What are your thoughts about instituting an automated strike zone in the majors? That is something I'm going to be following because as an idea, I love it. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly sitting at home haranguing home plate umpires who repeatedly miss calls or at least miss calls per the um, um, pitch framer that we see on our, on our TV. It seems to me that whenever a hitter questions a call these days and, and, and they replay the pitch, the hitter has a better, a better eye than the umpire. Um, from a practical standpoint, obviously, I, I, I want to see how it works in the Atlantic League. I love what replay has done. I think there are ways to expedite the process, and they should. Um, but I think replay has made the game better. And I would hope that something like this would, too, because, I mean, it, it seems like a simple matter, balls and strike, strikes. And someone might say, well, who cares if, if, a, if, a, if an umpire misses a pitch? Well, a missed pitch depending on the situation and the count of the game, can turn the, the whole bat around. I've seen it happen. I would love to see something done here if it's practical. So there was a study done a few years ago that uh, went back and compared all of the pitches that were thrown to the, that type of strike zone model that you referenced earlier. And I believe that within 
balls that were within uh, an inch and a half, two inches of the the corner or the edges of the strike zone that umpires missed over 30% of them. So, and that's a huge, that's a huge amount to something that is essential to the game. And you know, I think it was one thing to throw up our hands and say, well, you know, it's the the human element, and we just have to deal with it. But we're not dealing with it with the majority of plays on the field, and and why we turn a blind eye to the to to the rampant missed calls that you see game after game after game when we have the technology to maybe not be perfect but certainly a whole lot better than we are now i mean i think this should be a one top of the list priority i agree if 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 the technology exists to make this a whole lot better from where we are now then let's do it i really don't care about perfect but what we're doing right now isn't perfect at least from my uh from my point of view from the couch you know, it's very difficult when you show the graphic on the on the TV screen, which by necessity has to be 2D. I mean, you, you can't really have a 3D, and you know, you, there's always the case about the the ball that curves and maybe hits the back corner instead of the front corner. So, it, it, if you get that view from the front side, it it may be a ball, but if you would tilt it, you know, um, 90 degrees, you might see that it hit the back corner. So none of us who are not directly involved know what the technology is like. As a fan uh, watching the games at home, I like it when we get to see the two replays, one from, from up above so we can see if it caught uh, you know, the plate, and then one from the side where you can see if it was uh, you know, uh, from the knees to the, the bottom of the letters, if it, if it hit the strike zone that way. And I think that if you combine those two views that you can pretty much uh, get, a, get a strike call uh, the overwhelming number of times yeah and 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 even <laughs> even even if um even if we miss a few on the close pitches some of these pitches that just fill up the strike zone that an ump takes a a pitch off or two in a in a critical situation you I, again i don't i don't understand the technology but you would think there could be a signal sent to a mic from somewhere basically telling him that this is a strike and it's an obvious strike uh, uh interesting situation now, I think it should be said that the reason that umpires are missing calls is not because they're not trying or that they're not good at their job, but this is something that's really that humans are not well equipped to deal with in real time. Uh, and just because of the fact that an umpire may miss 20 calls in a, in a game, he, he's seeing 300 pitches in a, in a nine-inning game, and the Mets played an 18-inning game the other day that had uh, 500 pitches. So, yep, agree. Uh, it's a it's a thankless job. I I wouldn't want it. Uh, um, I I think the technology could help them do it. The thing that that kills me is that when they have a play that they would go to on replay it now, it seems like they're they're working on like dial up modem technology, <laughs> and they don't even start to begin until the umpires put on their headset. And you know, on the Mets games, we always hear about well, they're going to go down to Chelsea and see about the replay. And why people aren't, they don't have dedicated people watching the games and then be prepared for the, this challenge so that they're halfway through the review before it even starts, um, you know, it, it takes way too long, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it would seem to me that you're right. That's that, I mean, we should basically use the umpire in the sky as the umpire in the sky. Somebody should be on replay and, and determining what the right call is immediately by the time the umps get the headset on 
um, depending on the explanation the umps on the field are giving the umpire in the skies to what's being questioned. Um, those reviews should go a lot faster than a lot of them are going. You always hear about, well, the umpires aren't going to like to have this taken away from them. And, you know, I'm sure that there's vanity involved uh, in, in the whole process. But hopefully the fact that they would hire either current umpires or for, former umpires to serve in that position would make it something more e easier for the, the umpires union to get behind. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, another thing that we've heard uh, recently, maybe a little bit louder now than at any time that I can recall, is that the National League might adopt the designated hitter. Uh, do you see this happening, and do you think it would be good for the game if it did? Well, I'm reading that it, it seems to be happening. It seems to be that both leagues are in favor of it. Uh, I'm, I'm a Viva la Difference guy. I, I like the differences in both leagues, even though I realize it creates issues during interleague play in the postseason. But it sounds like they don't care what I think per usual, and it'll happen. Um, strategy, uh, I, I like the NL strategy. I like the fact that they have to pinch hit. Um, I like the additional hitting in the American League. Um, I'm, a, I'm actually, uh, I, I think this is probably going to be implemented in the next year or two. And from a, a fantasy standpoint in my keeper leagues, I'm actually beginning to accumulate uh, some strategic uh, designated hitter types in the National League, like Josh Naylor in San Diego. So uh, I kind of think this is almost a done deal. Well, I'd like to propose the very first real life to fantasy trade. And I want to trade to your fantasy team, Robinson Cano, who will be a, a DH if, if this uh, uh, thing passes. And we'll get him off the Mets and onto your fantasy team. What do you say? <laughs> uh, really? Robinson Cano? I'm an NL guy. I, yeah. I'm, I I don't like the DH. Yeah. But to me, at, at this point, uh, 40 plus years in, uh, the the battle has been lost. But having said that, keep it in the American League, and then if you prefer the the offense, you can watch the American League and have what you want. But taking the or instituting the DH in the National League is taking away from me the ability to watch the game that I prefer and personally I don't like that one bit and I and I agree with you I agree 100% with you if, if I if it were up to me I would keep I would keep the status quo in both leagues all right well another rule that or uh, proposed rule change I guess that uh, I want to run by you is uh, in an effort to combat the uh, the loogie madness that uh, runs rampant these days, there's a, a rule that's um, or a proposed rule about requiring pitchers to face at least three batters during an inning or have an inning end before they can make a pitching change. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? You know, until I see it and 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 the ramifications of of what I can't see right now, it it seems like a modest move to speed up the game. I kind of like it, but I'm probably the wrong person to ask just because I I can't see in advance what the what the obvious ramifications might be. Well, you think about the guys who are there specifically to get out lefty batters and. The example I always use is Randy Choate, who uh, one year with the Cardinals, I think, got into 70, 71 games, something like that, and then didn't even pitch 30 innings. But he was highly effective, and the Cardinals won over 100 games that year. So it was it was a, a wonderful case of, of uh, 
the the team's other other talent being able to make up for uh, a specialist who is that limited in his role and also he was very good in that role but so many teams use that loogie gambit and i mean personally i think they're shooting themselves in the foot and uh, while I like very much anything that, that gets the loogie out of the game, I, I wonder if this is one of those cases where the cure is worse than the problem. Yeah, it would almost make sense to, to go slow on some of these changes. And, and again, I, I would like to see I would like to see it experimented with uh, in the Atlantic League. I don't know if that's one of the things that they're doing there, just to see um, what the fallout is of it. But um, in this day and age, when pitchers who can get anyone out are 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 tough to tough to come by and particularly with the the level of injuries that seem to be going up um i would almost think that um, um and and i don't know what the stats are that loogies are 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 going to become a thing of the past safe faster than the opener is which is something we're going to talk about in a few minutes here so when when i was uh um a young lad and, and watching some of those horrible Met teams of the late 70s. Uh, they never had any problem coming up with strong bullpens. And those strong bullpens would always have a, a nondescript lefty, uh, a Kevin Koble, a Bob Myrick, somebody of, of that nature, who who would pitch in, you know, pitch 50 games and, and be 75 innings, something that we certainly would never see from your standard lefty reliever this year, and they were good. And to me, I don't understand how you could have uh, one of the worst teams in the league could consistently have lefty relievers like that, but no team can do that here in, in the 21st century. It doesn't make any sense to me. I think we've uh, we, uh, Major League Baseball, has elevated the loogie to such a, uh, an importance that we're creating that instead of trying to create pitchers. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, pitchers, uh, and let's face it, pitchers now, they have access to, to really terrific technology, more than, certainly much more than I did when I was playing way back uh, long ago. Um, and they're making adjustments. Um, they're being, you know, they're they're being given good instruction. They're 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 moving around the ball. You know, they're they're experimenting with different grips. Um, we should be trying to get these these athletes with these great arms, uh, trying to turn them into better and more versatile pitchers, and not trying to restrict them. So, from what I understand, there's two exceptions to the rule of uh, at least three batters, and one is if you uh, retire the last batter of an inning and the other one would be if you have an injury and it made me think back to the NBA it used to be in the NBA you'd have to have an injury to call a 22nd timeout <laughs> and and then the, the the athletes got so good at faking injuries they just said well screw it you know you can call a 22nd timeout whenever you want so I'm actually looking forward to these lefties uh, becoming uh, actors and, and being able to, to come up with uh, injuries on demand. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting situation. I, I yeah, I don't know what to make of it, frankly. <laughs> now, you mentioned the opener just a second ago, and uh, that's the thing, I guess, that was popularized uh, last season by the Rays, where they would use a, a reliever to actually start the game, and he would pitch an inning, maybe two innings, and then a, a relief pitcher would come on, and then you know, look to go four, five, six innings. And uh, 
the Rays won, what, 90 games last year. So, so we're in a copycat league. So uh, we've seen other uh, teams uh, adopt that approach, maybe to, not to the extent that Tampa Bay has, but uh, it, it, it's certainly not something that's uncommon at, at this point here in 2019. So do you think that this is here to stay, the opener, or do you think it's a, a fad that'll die out in a couple of years? I think it's here to stay, and I and I think it's going to be built upon. I think we're going to be looking at pitchers a lot differently uh, unless something dramatically that I can't see changes. Um, we're going to be look at, looking at them, you know, can they pitch one, two, three innings, or the, will they pitch four or five? I mean, a pitcher who can go six, seven innings now and and, and limit the, the, the opposition to two, three runs, they're gold, and, and stay healthy? You know, are you kidding me? I mean, the, this year, for the first time, the Angels here in my own backyard have, have used openers, and, and they've done it very successfully, both Luke Bard and and uh, Cam Bedrosian have done some very good work as openers. And the, and the guy following them, the primary guy, Felix Pena, um, who hasn't been able to manage his pitch count as a starter for whatever reason, is thriving as the long guy after these openers. So um, it seems to be working for the Angels, and I think more and more clubs are going to try it. A lot of these clubs are just trying to survive. Uh, um, it's it's interesting because it also it also raises the idea that the major league win-loss mechanism, as, as Eno Saris said the other day on Twitter, is broken. And uh, there's a whole bunch of things that are, that are going on that are, that are going to continue to develop here that I couldn't even possibly predict. I admire the opener from a standpoint of doing something because you think it makes sense for your club rather than doing it because that's the way that the other 29 clubs do it. But... Beyond that, aside from that, I, I, I guess I, I, I have a hard time seeing the appeal. Um, you know, maybe if it was the element of surprise, you had a, uh, a pitcher, you know, you had a, uh, a lefty pitcher, so the other team put all their righty bats in the lineup and you countered by bringing in your righty reliever in, in the second inning. You know, I, I could see that, but uh, it, it would seem that the element of surprise would wear off, that you might be able to pull that once or twice, but that would be it. Well, here here on the West Coast and in the AL West, for example, the only club not using an opener right now, they used it late in the season last year when they began to get a little more, a few more injuries, is Houston, which makes sense because they've got so much pitching depth and so much starting pitching depth that they don't need to use an opener. Um, and in, in the A, in the, uh, NL West, it's the Dodgers. Same situation. Um, they don't. They don't need to use openers um, if if you have enough pitching depth. And I think that's the that's the primary issue driving this uh, this new phase. And uh, like you said, Tampa Bay, uh, it worked for them. Um, they only had two or three um, starters last year. It's the same this year. It's working for them again. Um, it's working for some clubs like the Angels, whose pitching has 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 really broken down. Um, and I and I and I think that's the way it's going to continue. Um, at least the the way the usage is going to continue along those lines. So, you have the opener who goes an inning, sometimes two, but usually just an inning, and then you bring in your your um, I don't know if there's an official term for it yet. The the relief pitcher who's going to throw four, five, six innings, however many he can go. Why doesn't he just start the game? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, good question. Maybe, maybe they, maybe they have trouble getting warmed up early on. In in Pena's case, I'm I'm not sure what 
what the situation there is. Um, and maybe um, maybe the club would rather have him face uh, um, lesser hitters um, in the middle and the bottom of the, of the lineup to start out while he, he begins to get the feel for where he is and where his pitches are out there. Um, and baseball's a mystery in that regard. All right, we have reached the crazy prediction time here in the podcast. I'll give you a crazy prediction, ask you to, to comment on it, and then I'll ask you to give me a crazy prediction of your own. Are you ready? Sure. Um, my crazy prediction is that uh, Rob, Ram- Rob Manfred, the MLB commissioner, is, is dying to, to create a legacy for himself. And one of the things that seems to be a pet project of his, even though no one I've ever talked to is in favor of, is um, coming up with a rule to outlaw the shift. So my crazy prediction is that Manfred, despite everybody else around him telling him this is a really dumb idea, is going to go ahead and institute an anti-shift rule. So tell me, is that crazy? That's fascinating. To me, yes, it's crazy because it just seems like such a bad idea. <laughs> and that's just me talking. I just I just can't see baseball changing that radically. Um, obviously, they don't care what I think. You might be right. If, if Manfred's that driven, um, never underestimate somebody with that kind of power. But boy, oh boy, it, it's, it's going to be fascinating if that happens. That's one of the rules that's... Uh and the experimental basis in the Atlantic League, and that's one of the ones that started already. And they actually have a line in the field to uh, to indicate where you have to be. There's supposed to be two uh, fielders on either side of that line uh, when the pitch is thrown. And we're going to have replay to determine when you've crossed the line or when you've you know when you're in violation of that rule. Boy, it becomes a totally different game, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and, and uh, you know there, there's always that school of thought which I think definitely applies here is you got to let the game find its own equilibrium and right now the the, the shift may be uh, dominating certain hitters but I think we've seen more uh, teams and individual hitters trying to bunt against the, the shift yeah. this year and yeah. you know clearly that's the way to do it uh, the Mets broadcasters have certainly made a big deal about anytime somebody hits the ball the other way um, you know and uh We've uh, we've witnessed the uh, the fly ball revolution where everyone's trying to hit the ball in the air and pull the ball all they can and you know at some point the game shifts back and people recognize the the, the benefits to, to hitting them all the other way and you let the game find its own equilibrium and, and I agree with you 100% I think the uh, the anti shift rule is is idiotic but uh, unfortunately I see it coming yeah it, it it reminds me it's not the same thing but it reminds me in the in in the fantasy industry about how some leagues are going to one catcher fantasy teams because there's not enough good catching right now in the market and to me that's just I mean it takes away from the game I mean obviously teams need two catchers for a lot of reasons and what's going to happen when the market turns as as we're actually starting to see in the minors now there's a a a spate of new very good catching prospects very good catch hitter catching prospects that are coming along are they going to go back to two catchers because there's more catchers to to uh, to be had? It, it's like you said, the game has to find its own equilibrium, and I don't think people should be tinkering with it that much. All right. So as uh, 
as a fantasy player myself, I'm always in the the, the market for a, a young under the radar catcher who can uh, who can hit. Throw me a name. Well, one game that I was following until he he ripped up his knee was Sean Murphy. He was actually tearing things up uh, in in AAA in Oakland. Uh, this is a guy who right now is already a major league. Uh, defensive ready catcher his uh, his offense has been stagnated throughout his career when he was in college first by he broke a hammock bone and then he broke another hammock bone last year mm. um, so we're not sure what he can do with the bat yet but um, a lot of scouts I know think he has at least raw average power and perhaps more he's he's a good hitting catcher the problem now is that his his leg is his knee is going to keep him out he's got a torn meniscus it's going to keep him out for for six weeks, and you, I, I have to start wondering if he's just one of those catchers who's who's going to be injury prone or is going to take a while to develop. A lot of catchers do, but uh, um, another uh, another another good catcher who's beginning to heat it up in uh, in Double A, I believe, is uh, Dalton Varsho in Arizona. Um, the Dodgers have a few um, a few good catchers, uh, Will Meyer, and uh, another one I can't I can't think of think of the name of. We're starting to see Baltimore's um, um, catcher Chance Cisco, uh, who's now 24, after he spent some time in the high minors. He's starting to hit for power now, and I'm I'm pretty sure he'll be up with the Orioles. Um, I like some of the names we're starting to see. Excellent. All right. Well, I didn't mean to uh, uh, not uh, allow you to give me your crazy prediction. So hit me. What's your crazy one? That's fine. You know what? I as far as as far as strata as far as um, MLB making adjustments and strategy goes, I'm I'm probably not the one to ask for that. And and even even with regard to how teams are going to do, I think there's such a gap between the haves and the have-nots right now. Parity just doesn't exist, uh, uh, particularly in the American League, which I cover probably a little more than the National League, although I'm pretty conversant there. I'll give you a crazy prediction player-wise, and I'll ask you to comment on that. Uh, um, Tommy Lestella is going to hit 30 home runs this year and become a top 150 player entering 2020. Tommy Lestella? Tommy Lestella. Do you know He's how many? In the league? Tommy Lestella has 10 home runs for the Angels right now. He leads wow. the Angels in home runs, and we're only a quarter of a way through the season. Wow. Yeah, it's almost reminiscent of Jay Bruce, who I think has 13 hits and 12 of them are homers. Yeah, except that Tommy LaStella has always had very good plate skills, and and in his best years when he was riding the bench for Chicago, he was he, he showed something approaching uh, average power. Now that the Angels freed him, obviously they he, they were looking for a left-handed bat who who can make contact and uh, and. Uh, and take a walk. I don't think they projected this, and and maybe that ball has something to do with it. But from what I'm saying, uh, this could be a legit breakout. You know, it's almost uh, it sounds almost a little bit like uh, Scooter Jeanette from a couple years back, who went from uh, basically a platoon guy to uh, one of the best uh, hitting second basemen in the league. Exactly, and being left hand, left handed in in Angel Stadium, what with the new lowered wall or the, the the new line on the wall that basically indicates a home run, isn't a bad place to be playing right now. Hmm. Now, usually I'll, I'll I'll pass judgment, but I, I have to uh, plead the the fifth or ignorance or something on this one. Tommy Lastella, hey, I didn't even know he was still in the league and ten home runs, and you say he's going to hit thirty. Yep, that's that's well, my that's my crazy prediction. Well, I I, I tell you what. You're probably right. I'm still going to label it as crazy just because it hit me from out of left field. (laughs) 
All right, um, let, let's make you uh, a Major League uh, Baseball manager and, and not one of these uh, uh, yes men that we have today, but uh, like a real manager with uh, uh, the authority to do stuff like from in the 60s and the 70s. And you can, you can be this mythical manager of any team that you want. And my question is, if you could change one thing in how your team operates, and we're going to assume they operate under standard 21st century baseball, play in a loogie, uh, five-man rotation, uh, 100 pitches per start, you know, all of that stuff. What would you change and why? But see, and, and the problem I have with this question is the question itself, because first off, I would never take that job. My wife always, <laughs> my wife always tells me that I look younger than, than my age. And one that of the reasons change. is that I've never been a major league manager. <laughs> and, and, and the basis of my taking any major league management job is that I would have, I would demand in-season job security. You couldn't fire me until the season was over. And I would have GM access uh, at, at all times. Uh, let's face it, uh, managers are no different than players now. Um, the front office is running things, most things. Um, it's, for the most part, a, a pretty thankless job. And, and just, uh, I, can't I can't imagine myself in any manager's job. Well, I think the two things that you threw out there would be, would be excellent things. But... Uh, to, to go back to your to your other point, I, I look at someone like former Mets manager Terry Collins, who, who had on-field success, but ultimately was not successful in, in, in Anaheim and, and in Houston, and fizzled out after, I think, four or five years at both of those stops, yet was in, employed for the, the Mets, I think, for seven years, even though the, the vast majority of them were, were lousy. Because he did what the uh, what his superiors wanted him to do, so he he was he was able to stay around and uh, collect quite a bit of money, you know, carrying out orders. Yeah, I, I I did not understand that hire. I I thought well, the Mets must know what they're doing. They they must have conducted a thorough interview process and a psychological evaluation of Terry Collins because when he left here, he was a psychological mess. Um, and he, he, from what I saw of the Mets, and I don't follow them nearly as closely as you do here from the West Coast, he appeared to have calmed down, but he was also doing some pretty strange things as a manager, and, and some of them were dictated by the front office. So he was also kind of in a no-win situation, even with his limitations. We know down to the detail every single thing about a player's contract. You know, we, we can we can know that uh, Mike Trout is going to make X amount of money over the next uh, so many years guaranteed. And, you know, I don't know if he has incentive clauses in, in the New Deal or not. But if he does, we know what they are or we can go to COTS and figure them out. But generally speaking, we have no idea how much a manager makes. But I think in, in Terry Collins' case, he was, he was making um, – seven figures I, I i can't imagine he wasn't making less than a million per season so you know that not not a bad day's work no in new york you you better be making seven figures and and you know similarly out here you better be making close uh um they they don't pay these guys enough money to do what they're asking them to do but get, getting back to uh when they hired him um they gave him a two-year deal when they, they hired him. And if they had allowed him to remain in place for two years and then replaced him, he would be remembered fondly, I think, by everyone. Uh, 
prior to to him, the Mets had uh, Jerry Manuel as as their manager, and um, he he talked about uh, being gangsta, and uh, uh, I don't know if he quite threatened to show somebody the Bronx, but <laughs> it wasn't far from that. And so Terry Collins brought uh, professionalism back to the the Mets dugout, and you know maybe a lot of people could have done that, but he did that, and he did that very well. And he was he was very good in the first year of, of uh, managerial process, and because he had a two-year deal, sure, let him finish out the second year. The mistake was continuing to re-up with him after that, though. The the moral of the story: if you are a manager, just keep moving. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, since you were not comfortable as uh, being a manager, let's get you back uh, into the role of a fan here. As uh, the last question that I have for you today is. Double headers. Um, do you want to see teams go back and, and schedule them and, and not just have them in case of a rain or snow out? Honestly, as a fan, no, just simply because I have issues sitting through three, four hour games already. I can't imagine sitting through a double header right now. On the other hand, there's a practical um, reason to do that uh, um, just so um, Major League Baseball could reduce travel time and maybe even condense the schedule a little bit. I think I think that's really key right now for MLB to consider. And maybe double headers are part of that formula. You know, I don't think we're ever going to see a, a scheduled traditional double header. I mean, I think it would be a day-night separate admission double header just so that none of the teams want to give away one of those 81 home dates and the revenue that uh, that accrues from them. But I do think that a, a day-night, like you mentioned, would, would help with some of the schedule because what we're seeing is we're seeing the, the season start earlier and earlier. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that uh, a few day-night doubleheaders instead of games being played uh, March 20th, I, I think that would be good for the game. Oh, I absolutely agree. And it, wouldn't it be nice to end the postseason in late October instead of running into November? Indeed. All right, well, Jock, uh, that's all I have. Uh, do you have uh, anything you'd like to, to add before we call it a day? No, not right now, Brian. The Angels are on TV playing Minnesota. I'm going to go watch them. All right, well, good luck to you and the Angels, and, <laughs> and thanks for being on again. And uh, we will talk to you soon, and uh, we're going to hit uh, my son with the, the outro music. Go, Trent. <laughs>